Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 575 for release on Sunday, March 1st, 2020. On WaveScan today, the Grand Wireless Station at Monte Grande, Australian shortwave call signs, VLR Part 2, and our Japan DX report from Yukiko Tsuji. Construction work on the world's largest wireless station, as it was touted at the time, began a little over 100 years ago in the year 1918. However, due to the Great War and its aftermath over in continental Europe, progress on the work was quite slow. Initially, the Marconi Company in England began the preparatory work, but due to the total size of the completed project, a consortium group, including other wireless manufacturing companies, was formed. Here's the rest of the story now from Ray Robinson. Thanks, Jeff. A combined property of 1,200 acres located on the south side of Buenos Aires and 25 miles from the city centre was obtained as the location for the Monte Grande long-wave wireless station. Two powerful alternators at 400 kilowatts each were installed and electricity with 800 kilowatts at 12,500 volts was fed into the station from the city generating plant. The two alternators were capable of transmissions in the long-wave spectrum, running from around 18 kHz up to about 72 kHz. In regular usage, one transmitting alternator was on the air, while the other was maintained in standby mode. The massive antenna system in total was nearly two miles long, and it was formed in the shape of the English capital letter T. It was supported on 10 towers in pairs, each 680 feet tall, and spaced at nearly a quarter mile apart. These towers were imported from CTSF in France and from Telefunken in Germany. The 16-wire aerial system was supported at 200 places by crosswires, incorporating the use of a 1,000 insulators. The steel cables that supported the aerial wires were installed with insulated rollers, and the aerial wires were weighted at each end with weights at 88 pounds each, thus allowing for compensation in wire lengths due to variations in the local temperature. There was a complicated double counterpoise system with a buried network of wires, as well as another system of wires 30 feet above ground level. The Monte Grande wireless station was officially opened in a formal ceremony on Thursday, January 24, 1924, in the presence of the President of Argentina, Senor Marcelo Tosuato de Alvear. Next day, this new and grand wireless station with the international call letters LPZ began Morse code communication with similarly high-powered long-wave wireless stations in London, Paris, Berlin and New York. During the early 1920s, the communication scene throughout the world was in transition from wireless to radio, 
And thus, in 1925, just one year after the opening of the Monte Grande wireless station, two American-made RCA shortwave transmitters, rated at 20 kilowatts each, were installed at the same location. In this way, voice communication began to take over from communication by Morse code. Give six more years to 1931, and the two hefty wireless alternators were decommissioned, and a bevy of additional shortwave transmitters was installed. At the beginning of the European War in 1939, several shortwave transmitters were in use at Transradio Monte Grande, ranging in power from 1 kilowatt to 125 kilowatts. An additional 100 kilowatt transmitter was installed in November of that same year, 1939. Beginning in the mid-1930s, the Monte Grande radio station was often noted in the United States and elsewhere with the broadcast of radio programming. The transmitters generally in use for the relay of programming from local medium wave stations were rated at 10 kilowatts and 20 kilowatts. Sometimes a shortwave transmitter was in use as a program link from a Buenos Aires medium wave station to an upcountry medium wave station, and on other occasions the purpose was for the relay of medium wave programming for network rebroadcast in the United States, as well as for direct reception worldwide. Radio station LSX at Monte Grande was often heard with a program broadcast at 10 kilowatts on 10350 kHz. This station was recognised and appreciated internationally as a reliable verifier of listener reception reports. In 1970, the official telecommunication concession ended and the grand wireless station LPZ and LSX at Monte Grande was closed and abandoned. Several other shortwave stations in Argentina took over the various services previously on the air at Monte Grande. In 2011, the Monte Grande location was declared a nature reserve as Laguna de Roja, and much of the abandoned radio structure is still in place. The front of the huge main building still stands intact, though a picture at the back of the building shows nothing but wrecked debris. Some antenna towers are also still standing. Two additional radio buildings on the same site are also abandoned, though they're still in good condition. These two structures were the transmitter buildings for two medium wave stations, Radio Splendide LR4, currently with 25 kilowatts on 990 kilohertz, and Radio Excelsior LR5, likewise currently with 60 kilowatts on 910 kilohertz. As regards receiving stations, the first receiver station for Transradio Monte Grande in Argentina was located at the outer suburban Via Elisa, some 20 miles from downtown Buenos Aires and 25 miles from the transmitter station. Two flat-top multi-wire aerial systems were installed, thus ensuring reception from both Europe and the United States. A bank of electrically operated receivers was installed in a specially constructed building. It was back in 1924 that this receiver station was taken into service, along with the transmitter facility at Monte Grande. These days, this transradio property is serving the local community as an ecological reserve, a nature park. During the year 1935, a replacement receiver station was installed on a property at suburban San Martin, known as the Ladora Farm. This receiver station was closed in 1970, 
along with the Monte Grande transmitter site, and since then this property has also been taken over as an ecological reserve. According to information in print in Argentina, all three Transradio properties, the transmitter site at Monte Grande, the early receiver site at Villa Elisa, and the subsequent receiver site at San Martín, strangely enough, have all been taken over by the local communities for public use as nature parks. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Surf BBC. Ek mulakat pa. Ek mulakat pa. Ek mulakat ki ye gaadi pehle Kashmir ke platform se hote huye Goa ke platform jayegi. हिंदी फिल्मों में होता है ना कि लोकेशन बहुत इंपॉर्टेंट होती है कई कहानियां तो लोकेशन के इर्द-गिर्द ही घूमती वी हैव एन आइटम नाउ अ कमेंट्री फ्रॉम द हिंदुस्तान टाइम्स दैट केम टू अस थ्रू रेडियो वर्ल्ड आई बिलीव इट्स अ कमेंट्री बाय अ जेंटलमैन नेम्ड राजेश जोशी हु वाज अंटिल रिसेंटली द एडिटर ऑफ बीबीसीज हिंदी रेडियो ब्रॉडकास्ट्स ऑन शॉर्ट वेव एंड इट्स It's very interesting because those broadcasts ended uh, recently. And here's what um, Rajesh says. As the curtain finally came down on British Broadcasting Corporation, BBC Hindi Radio, after 80 years, millions of listeners living in conflict zones and on the margins of society in rural India lost their only credible and easily accessible source of accurate information. The crackling yet hugely trusted voice that informed, educated, and entertained many generations of Indians fell silent after its last transmission on January 31st. It has been an incredible journey for a service that began in 1940 with the limited purpose of passing messages via battery-operated radio to the Indian soldiers fighting in the trenches in far faraway lands, to serve the British Empire during World War II. Over the years, it transformed itself into a trustworthy source of information and knowledge. After all these years, the decision to shut down shortwave Hindi radio was announced by the BBC bosses a few weeks ago, citing dwindling numbers of radio listeners and the need to divert more resources to digital platforms. After the announcement, we were inundated, he says, with emails, letters, text messages, and phone calls from anxious listeners. Each one of them had a story to share, an anecdote to narrate, and fond memories associated with the BBC to cherish. Visually impaired listeners sent emotional messages saying that they were going to lose their best companion that brought light to their world of darkness. Several individuals from underprivileged backgrounds, now holding important positions in government, universities, judiciary, and politics said they owed their success to the BBC radio. Despite the huge goodwill enjoyed by the Hindi radio service, the BBC had once before attempted to stop its transmissions in 2011, only to withdraw the decision following a massive pushback from the listeners and supported by several eminent authors and journalists. Ironically, only a few months before the axe finally fell on Hindi radio, BBC World Service actually extended the transmission time of its Hindi flagship program, Dinbar, 
to beat the strict communication restrictions imposed by the Indian government in Jammu and Kashmir. In August, Parliament effectively nullified Article 370, cut off the Internet and mobile services, now partially eased, and detained many opposition leaders, several of whom have been released now. Suddenly, free and independent journalism in Jammu and Kashmir looked rather impossible. In this context, Jamie Angus, the director of the BBC World Service, decided to circumvent the restrictions to serve the information-starved audiences in Jammu and Kashmir. And shortwave radio was the only means to reach out to them. Angus acknowledged in a statement that audiences turn to the BBC during moments of crisis when tensions are highest. Radio listenership, no doubt, has dwindled over the years, but as the American media scholar Jeff Jarvis once said, the success of journalism shouldn't always be measured on the old mass media metrics of the number of eyeballs that watched our message. Instead, it should be based on whether journalism helped people meet their goals, improve their lives and communities. The BBC did help at least four generations of Indians to meet their goals improve their lives, and find their place in the world. While I am proud to have been associated with BBC Hindi Radio, it is not easy for me to carry the dubious distinction of being the last radio editor of such an illustrious service. And that commentary in the Hindustan Times was by Rajesh Joshi, a print and broadcast journalist and editor based in New Delhi. He led the BBC Hindi Radio team in its last phase. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. In our program today, we pick up the story of the Australian shortwave call sign VLR in Lyndhurst, Victoria, in September 1937. It was back at that stage that the original locally made 1928 shortwave transmitter was again renovated and re-engineered from 600 watts up to 1 kilowatt. During its 10-year experimental era, the transmitter call sign was listed as VK3LR, which was an amateur designation, though the station was always a professional operation, never amateur. Here again is Ray Robinson. One year later, on October 1, 1938, transmitter VLR was again upgraded, this time with an output power of 2 kilowatts. At this stage, three shortwave channels were in use, 6140 kHz, 9580 kHz, and 11880 kHz, and three different antenna systems were available, thus ensuring wide coverage throughout Australia and also coverage into many areas worldwide. At the outbreak of war in continental Europe on September 2, 1939, the ABC shortwave station at Lyndhurst was the only shortwave broadcasting station that was permitted to remain on air. The programming feed for VLR was produced in the Melbourne studios of the ABC or Australian Broadcasting Commission stations 3LO and 3AR, and from there it was sent by landline to Lyndhurst, some 25 miles southeast of downtown Melbourne. At this stage, the ABC announced that a new 10 kilowatt shortwave transmitter was planned as a replacement for the now 11 year old ailing transmitter. 
Due to the exigencies of the European war, rapid plans were implemented in Australia for the introduction of a government-operated international shortwave voice, and three months later, on December 20th, 1939, the new Australia Calling was inaugurated. That date, December 20th, happened to be the birthday of Australia's Prime Minister Robert Menzies, later Sir Robert Menzies. Four shortwave transmitters were available for Australia's new shortwave voice, and these were designated as was VLQ and VLQ2 at Pennant Hills near Sydney, New South Wales, VLW near Perth in Western Australia, and the already mentioned VLR near Melbourne, Victoria. Special international programming for the new Australia Calling was produced in the Melbourne and Sydney studios of the ABC. Eighteen months later, on June 21, 1941, the promised new 10kW shortwave transmitter was activated in the Lyndhurst transmitter station, though now it was not a replacement for the old VLR, but rather it was an addition to the old VLR. Initially, this new STC transmitter was designated on air under the same VLR callsign as VLR3 when it was operating on 11880 kHz and VLR4 when it was on 15230 kHz. At this stage, there was confusion as to which of the two transmitters was in use, so two months later, on August 24, 1941, the new 10kW VLR was redesignated as VLG, and thus VLR3 on 11.880 became VLG5, and VLR4 on 15.230 became VLG6. From this time onwards, VLG was on the air with programming for both Australia Calling and the ABC National Service, though the original VLR was in use only for ABC National Service coverage in Australia itself. Never again was VLR taken into service for Australia Calling, nor for Radio Australia as the international service was known subsequently. For a few years after the end of World War II, the VLR transmitter was operating at a power level of 5 kilowatts. However, unfortunately, this old VLR was always noted on air with a raspy signal and sometimes a loud booming hum, and never with good, clean and easy-to-listen-to audio. During the 1950s, a new building was erected over and around the old transmitter building, and the old building was then removed piece by piece. In this way, the now three transmitters, VLH was added in 1946, were still in regular usage, and no damage was done to any of the electronic equipment. At this stage, there was a change in the numeric designators, with the number now indicating the megahertz band. So, for example, VLR2 on 6150 kHz became VLR6. Now that there was more space in the transmitter building, Three additional 10kW shortwave transmitters were installed in 1956. These American-made RCA transmitters were redundant equipment originally planned for installation in American battleships, and with the end of World War II they were no longer needed. At this stage, the old original VLR transmitter was removed. In addition, the callsign VLR was no longer the identification of a specific transmitter, but rather it now became the designation of the ABC shortwave service for coverage of the Great Outback, which was on the air from any of the available transmitters. Then, beginning in the 1960s, a total of eight STC-made 10 kilowatt transmitters were installed progressively at the Lyndhurst shortwave station.
give another score of years and the VLR shortwave service was declared redundant and thus it was closed at 14.02 UTC on Friday morning, June 12, 1987. The final transmission from ABC VLR came to an end as VLR 6 with 10 kilowatts on 6150 kHz just after midnight local time. In summary, VLR was an experimental and broadcast transmitter at Lyndhurst that was on the air for 29 years, stretching from 1928 to 1956. This transmitter also carried a programme relay for Australia Calling for a couple of years from 1939 to 1941. From 1956 until closure in 1987, VLR was an ABC programme service that was on the air from any of the multiple shortwave transmitters that were available in the Lyndhurst shortwave station. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you again to Ray Robinson at KVOH Shortwave in Los Angeles. Let's go to Yukiko Tsuji now, in Japan. Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake, and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. BBC via Philippines was heard on 11825 kHz on February 5th from the sign-on at 2300 to the sign-off at 2400 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. World news was aired, followed by a report from Mexico at 2306, news at 2330, and a report from Vanuatu at 2332. Vatican Radio via Tinan, Philippines, was heard on 5930 kHz on February 2nd, from 15.02 to the sign-off at 15.29 UTC. SIO rating was 5.44. Talk program and hymns in Tamil were on the air until 15.09, then interval signal was played, followed by talk program and hymns in Malayalam at 15.10. Sarawak FM from Kajan, Malaysia, was heard on 9835 kHz on February 11th, from 08.25 to 09.15 UTC in Malay. SIO rating was 3.43. Talk program and Malayan music were broadcast. Interference was from China National Radio on 9.830 kHz. Bangladesh Beta was received on 4.750 kHz on February 1st, from 13.13 with interval signal, to 13.20 UTC in Nepali. SIO rating was 3.33. ID and music were aired at 13.15, followed by news. The audio signal was distorted. Ibra Media via Armenia was heard on 9.540 kHz on February 9th, from 16.14 with interval signal to 1629 UTC, presumably in Amharic. SIO rating was 252 on USB mode. Talk program by a male announcer was broadcast with Christian music. ID was given at 1619. The starting time of the broadcast seems to have been changed from 1600 to 1615. Radio Father via Kuwait was heard on 
9990 kilohertz on February 1st from 12:35 to 12:45 UTC in Persian. SIO rating was 353. Talk program and music program were aired. ID was given at 12:39. Radio Guinea from Guinea was received on 9650 kilohertz on January 28th. From 2044 to 2110 UTC in French. SIO rating was 252, then down to 221. Talk program with interview was on the air. ID was given at 2105. VOA via San Tome e Principe was heard on 12070 kHz on February 11th. From 0710 to 0732 UTC in Hausa. SIO rating was 242, then down to 232. Talk program with music was broadcast. Interference was from China National Radio on 12080 kHz. Radio Ndarason International via Ascension was heard on 9535 kHz on February 8th. From 0730 to the sign off at 0800 UTC in Kanuri. SIO rating was 332. Talk and local music were aired. Interference was from China National Radio on 9530 kHz. Finally, Japan Shotweb Club will issue the QSO cards for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSO card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl at live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44. Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we would like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Chiaki Shimada, and Mr. Shinichi Suzuki for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shortweb Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. We end WaveScan today with some Australian Aboriginal didgeridoo music. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Research and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the happiest place on earth, Vanuatu in the South Pacific, is back on shortwave. And our Canadian DX report as well. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan. To the AWR address in Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, 
or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations at Carry Wave Scan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in WaveScan. They will also verify it with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The only email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The only postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakadong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. That's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakadong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, that's not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>